0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. Listen, turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. book of Daniel chapter 9. that's pretty easy to find. If you've been with us, you know where it's at. But it's in the middle of your Bible. If you open up in the middle, you should be in Psalms or Proverbs. Go to Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel should be there. Daniel chapter nine. Uh, we're finishing out chapter nine. Our text is Daniel chapter nine, verses twenty through twenty-seven. And our message is entitled Unexpected Answers to Prayer. Unexpected Answers to Prayer. I'm always the last one there to give you more time, so hopefully you you found it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. It begins this way. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, For the holy hill of my God. Now, we unpacked that prayer in detail last week. Verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, that's a pretty dramatic answer to prayer. I mean, he's praying, and God sends his angel Gabriel on the spot swiftly with his answer, with his message. Anybody want to pray like that? I'll take that any day, right? Verse uh, 22. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. That is, listen... Our prayers are heard in heaven, and our prayers cause heaven to respond on our behalf. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly what love. Well, listen. Uh, do you know you're greatly loved this morning, brother? Do you know? Truly, that you're greatly loved this morning, sister. Or listen, has the pain of life, has the whispers of the devil dulled that in you caused you to doubt whether your prayers are being heard, to doubt whether your prayers can actually move heaven on your behalf? I mean, you you believe God, you love God. Not 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 sure it does that, well, listen, you're not only loved, you are greatly loved, just like Daniel. Take a look on the screen. 1 John 3 1 says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to, to us <laughs> that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Romans 5.8 goes on to declare about His love for us. Take a look on the screen. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is, listen, anytime you doubt God's love, just look at the cross. You are greatly loved so much so that the almighty God who was enthroned above all, who was in perfect fellowship with himself, God God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, chose to leave the perfection of heaven to humble himself, clothe himself with humanity then allow himself to be further humiliated, allowing sinful men to put him on the cross, to die in our place, to atone for our sin, to pay for our sin, to reconcile us back to God. You were once an enemy of God. Now you are a child of God. And the payment for that Was the Son of God's blood Himself. You are greatly loved. Verse 23 continues. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and prophet, and to to anoint a most holy place. Now, remember last week when we unpacked Daniel's prayer, Daniel was praying about the fact that Israel was in captivity in Babylon. And remember, he was studying the book of Jeremiah, and he saw in there Hey, that th- this is only supposed to last 70 years. And so he is praying that God would fulfill His word, that God would fulfill his promise. And so in the midst of that, God sends his angel Gabriel, with, with, with a message and an answer to Daniel's prayer. But what Gabriel says to Daniel, is vastly more than what Daniel requested. That is, the angel Gabriel actually comes and says, listen, yeah, that's going to happen, but I, I'm going to tell you about the entire history of Israel. I'm going to reveal to you God's prophetic plan for, for Israel for all time. And, and we'll unpack that in a moment. But before we get there, I do want to identify another principle of prayer here, and we, we identified a lot last week. But the principle is this, is, and that is when we diligently seek God in prayer, we often receive more than what we ask for. Anyone ever experienced that? Sure. We have a good God. He is generous. He is a, a good Father. I, I remember when I was looking to go to seminary, I'm looking at it going, I can't afford it. I don't know how this is going to work out. I feel like God's called me to this. And ultimately, God provided for my seminary free and clear, and I won't go into that whole story this morning. But my point is this, is that on top of that, he he gave me more. That is, uh, an elder in my church at that time came up to me and said, hey, man, I heard you're going to seminary. And so listen, hey, I just want to buy you a computer and whatever software you want on it, whatever setup you want with printer, whole shot, you go out and get it, I'll take care of it. Right. So more than than what I asked for. And or for example, have you ever gone to God in prayer about a particular matter or a particular situation and and you're praying, and you're looking for God to move in this situation, but as you are seeking him in prayer, God actually comes in and talks to you about something else, talks to you about deeper issues in your life, and you actually arise from your time with him <laughs> with a totally different perspective on what you thought you needed. Anyone? Anyone? That is, when we diligently seek God in prayer, we often receive more than what we ask for. Now, as we make our way forward, listen, I want to read through verses 24 through 27 so you can see it all as one shot, but then I'm going to come back and and we'll unpack it in detail, okay? So verse 24 through 27, we'll read through it first. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Now know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, let's unpack this in detail back to, back to verse 24 again. It begins, once again, 70 weeks. Now, we have to stop there. <laughs> Two words in. Uh, fill this in in your notes. A week equals seven years. A week equals seven years. Now, now how do we know that? Well, first of all, the Hebrew here literally says "77s." And the closest thing that I can give you in English equivalence would be the word "decade," and a decade is equal to what? What? Ten years, right? So the Hebrew points us in that direction. The second reason that we know that is there's a principle in Bible interpretation called the principle of first mention. That is, if you want to understand what the Bible means in a particular passage, you go back to the place where it is first mentioned and you find a key to what it means over here. And listen, I talked about that a lot if you were with us when I preached through the book of Genesis because the book of Genesis has a lot of first mentions. In fact, every major doctrine flows out of the book of Genesis. But anyway, in Genesis 29, we see the first mention of this Hebrew word. And in Genesis 29, you can look at it later on your own. There was a man by the name of Jacob working for another man by the name of Laban, and he worked for him for seven years in order to gain his daughter, Rachel. But at the end of that seven years, he didn't get the daughter, Rachel. Laban tricked him and gave him his other daughter, Leah. And so then the story says, he goes to Jacob and says, Listen, Jacob, finish your week, and then in another seven years, I'll give you Rachel too. And so in that story, we see that concept, that Hebrew word of the week being equated with seven years. So there's our first mention. The third reason we know it's right is the context here in Daniel. That is, we remember that Daniel again was praying about Israel's captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Now, perhaps you had this question last week. I was saving it to answer it this week. Why 70 years? Why, why, why was that number, you know, pulled out of nowhere? Well, listen, the, the Bible tells us in Leviticus 25 and 26, you can look at it later on your own. It tells us that God gave a command to Israel and the command was to give the land a Sabbath rest every seven Years. That is, every seven years, they were not to plant any crops on the land. They were to have a Sabbath rest for that entire year. Well, Israel disobeyed that command for 490 years. And so God was holding them accountable for those 70 Sabbath years. And so follow me here. Gabriel, or I mean, Daniel, goes to God about 70 sets of seven. That is, 70 times they disobeyed the Sabbath that was seven years long. 70 times seven, 490 years. In regards to the Babylonian captivity, Gabriel comes back with a message from God about another. 70 set of seven that he reveals now that is about the prophetic plan for Israel for all of history. And so fill this in in your notes. 70 weeks equals 490 years. 70 weeks equals 490 years. Verse 24 again Seventy weeks are decreed about who? Your people, where? Your holy city. That is, this is not about the church, right? This is about the Jews, and this is about Jerusalem specifically. So this is God's prophetic calendar for Israel. Verse 24 again. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now these next six things that are listed here in verse 24 are what is going to be accomplished during the 70 weeks. First, he says, to finish the transgression, that is to end man's rebellion. Second, to put an end to sin, that is... Not only to end guilt, but to end sin itself. Done with. Third, and to atone for iniquity. That is to pay for man's sin, to reconcile them back to God. This is the only one on the list that has been accomplished as of yet. It was accomplished in Jesus' first coming upon the cross. The rest will be accomplished when he returns again to establish his kingdom forevermore. Fourth, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now this isn't just talking about personal righteousness. This is talking about a new order of society, a new rule over all things. Messiah's reign, the king's reign, will be completely righteous forevermore. Fifth, To seal both vision and prophet. That is, you know, all prophecy will be done away with. You won't need it because the culmination of Christ's reign comes into being. Sixth there. And to anoint a most holy place. That is, this is talking about the temple of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to come back with him. And he is going to physically rule from Jerusalem, from that temple for a thousand years, and Revelation 20 reveals that millennial kingdom to us. Verse 25, now therefore, and understand. Now, these next verses are going to show us that in the 70 weeks, that there are three sections of this 70 weeks. In verse 25, it's going to tell us what section 1 and section 2 of the 70 weeks are. And then verse 26 is going to show us a time gap. And then verse 27 is going to give us the final section, the the final week of Daniel. Okay, so verse 25 again. Now therefore, or know therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an an anointed one. Now, another word for anointed is Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Just want you to know that. A prince. Now, this says a prince here because there are two princes in view here in this text. And here, this is referencing Jesus Christ, but in verse 26 and 27, it is referencing the Antichrist. Know therefore and understand that from going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, the Messiah, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, that is the walls of the city, but in a troubled time. That is Daniel is given a prophecy here by Gabriel that says that there will be 483 years or 69 weeks between the time in the future when the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem and its walls and the time that Messiah would come to earth. And so, what we see played out in history is this. Well, first of all, fill in your notes. 69 weeks equals 483 years. 69 weeks equals 483. Didn't know you're going to have to do math today, did you? <laughs> 69 weeks equals 483 years. Well, when we're looking at that 69 weeks, we saw in this verse. Why did it separate out seven weeks from then the remaining 62 more weeks? Why why was that separated out there? Well, this is the reason why. Because in the future, God raises up a man with the vision to rebuild Jerusalem and its walls. And he was a cupbearer to a king by the name of King Artaxerxes. And he had favor with that king. And he went to King Artaxerxes and he asked him if he could rebuild Jerusalem. And that man's name was Nehemiah. And so in Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through eight, we see the date that King Artaxerxes decreed that Daniel could go, that he gave Daniel permission to leave his post and to go to Jerusalem, and he gave him a certificate of safe passage and all the supplies that he would need in order to rebuild Jerusalem and its walls. And that date that Artaxerxes made that decree was March 14, 445 B.C., Now, how long did it take for Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem and its walls? 49 years or seven weeks. And so that is why those seven weeks are separated out and then the following 62 weeks play out before the Messiah comes. Now, if we begin at that date of March 14th 445 BC and we count forward listen using the jewish calendar which is 360 days a year versus 365 but we move forward in time 69 weeks or 483 years Or 173,880 days, we arrive at April 6th, 32 AD. Well, what happened on that day? Well, on that day was the only day that Jesus presented himself to Israel publicly as their messiah. And on that day Jesus purposely arranged that proclamation by sending his disciples ahead of him to go get a colt that had never been ridden. And as he entered into the city he he received the praise of the people. Hosanna in the highest, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That praise and recognition he had silenced before, he now receives. It is the day that he announced to all Israel, I am your Messiah. I have arrived. And that day was and is known as the triumphal entry. And so here's what I want us to understand. A prophecy was given hundreds of years before to a guy by the name of Daniel, that listen, it's going to be decreed in the future that Jerusalem will be rebuilt, the walls will be rebuilt. And then listen, you can count on that 69 weeks later, 483 years later, to the day the Messiah will come. And so what I want you to understand is that you hold in your hand the divinely inspired Word of God. It is unlike any other book. It is the Word of God. Well, let's move on. What verse are we on here? Verse 26. Verse 26. And after, okay, that whole after there signals to us a little time gap that's entering into this picture. And we know that time gap to be the church age because we are in the church age. So fill that in in your notes, the time gap equals the, the church age. And so we are in that and and, and we know uh, the Bible tells us, the New Testament tells us, Paul tells us that the mystery of the church, the mystery of the church age wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It wasn't revealed until after Jesus came. And we know that even from Daniel. You remember back in Daniel where Daniel saw everything? He saw the church age. He saw the book of Revelation, but, but the Holy Spirit said, hey, Daniel, I just want you to put down this. I just want you to put down the sum of the matter. you remember that? And so God purposely did not want to reveal the church until later. And so Paul tells us, here, here, here's the mystery of the church revealed in Ephesians. And he, he, he rolls it out in Romans chapter 16. And, um, and then ultimately as well in Romans chapter 9 through 11, he calls the church age the time of the Gentiles. And he says, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, that is when the number of Gentiles that can be saved are saved, then the rapture will happen. And Paul explains that in detail in 1 Thessalonians 4. And once that happens, Romans 11 says, listen, then God's plan with Israel will be picked up once again. The prophecy time clock with Israel will begin to click again after the rapture of the church. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, that is Jesus, shall be cut off. Now that Hebrew word for cut off means execution. That is, Gabriel is telling Daniel, the the coming Messiah, he's going to be executed. And shall have what? Nothing. That is, nothing rightly belonging to a Messiah at that time, right? He didn't come into his full reward in his first coming, did he? He came as a sacrificial lamb to die in our place. That is, from outward appearance at that moment, it looks like evil is triumphing. Verse 26 continues, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, ultimately, Jesus made the same prophecy in Matthew 24 that the the temple, that Jerusalem would be torn down. The temple would be torn down, and we know historically that this happened in 70 AD, that Titus with his Roman legions tore down Jerusalem, tore down the temple. Not not one stone was left on another. Remember we talked about that when we went through Luke. Verse 27, and he, well, well, what he? Well, Gabriel described this he as the prince who was to come in verse 27. 6 and so if we know that this prince to come is to is to arise out of the people that destroyed the temple back here that and those people were the romans then we know that this prince is going to come from a revived Roman empire. And so we've seen this before, right? In Daniel chapter two, in Daniel chapter seven, that there is coming a one world kingdom and it will be made up of 10 nations, 10 powers, and a prince shall arise from it. A one world ruler shall arise from it. And he is the Antichrist, Now, the whole idea of a revived Roman Empire is something that has been mocked as conspiracy theory my entire life. Ever since I've ever preached, I've been made fun of for for such a goofy concept, right? And I, I told you a few weeks back, you know, amazingly enough, you know, Boris Johnson, the former British prime minister... In his last moments in office, you know, he just barely stepped out. But this year, his last moments in office at the G7 summit in Germany, man, he's like, if we're going to save Europe from the crisis that they're experiencing right now, the energy crisis, everything they're facing, the food crisis, everything everybody's yelling about, right? Boris said, listen, we need to revive the Roman Empire. We need to come together like it was then. If we're going to make it through what's coming, we've got to revive the Roman Empire. And I read you this article, and I just want to read it again for your remembrance. It says this in Israel 365 News, July 7th, 2022. Headline is, British Prime Minister Wants to Recreate the Roman Empire. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and leader of the Conservative Party, has always been controversial, but he has raised the volume last week when he suggested that the best way to unite Europe was by recreating the Roman Empire. Johnson's plan was in contrast to the European political community presented by France's president, Emmanuel Macron. And so he rolled that out in, in June. Now, I told you last week that I might pull out of my archives a video about old King Charles since he got crowned king recently. And the reason why is old King Charles is a big proponent of the Great Reset. He's a big proponent of the World Economic Forum. He's a big proponent of a one-world government in order to conquer climate change. And in a talk last year before the UN, he said some disturbing things. And so listen, he's going to say in this video that there's a global crisis and, and it's climate change. And listen, it is so big that us acting as individual, independent nations... We can't get the job done. We need to come together under a global governance and we need to attack it in a military style fashion in order to address this crisis. And then he says, more than that, by the way, we can't even do it our own. That is, he says, it will take more than all the world's gdp all the world's gdp cannot address the global crisis and so then he suggests something else he suggests this this mystery man this this he who has trillions at his disposal and who has the respect of all the world leaders. And if we will look to him, it will solve the world crisis that we are facing. Listen.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us just how devastating a global cross-border threat can be. Climate change and biodiversity loss are no different. In fact, they pose an even greater existential threat to the extent that we have to put ourselves on what might be called a warlike footing. Having myself had the opportunity of consulting many of you over these past 18 months, I know you all carry a heavy burden on your shoulders and you do not need me to tell you that the eyes and hopes of the world are upon you. To act with all dispatch and decisively because time has quite literally run out. The recent IPCC report gave us a clear diagnosis of the scale of the problem. We know what we must do. With a growing global population creating ever-increasing demand on the planet's finite resources, we have to reduce emissions urgently and take action to tackle the carbon already in the atmosphere, including from coal-fired power stations. Putting a value on carbon, thus making carbon capture solutions more economical, is therefore absolutely critical. Similarly, after billions of years of evolution, nature is our best teacher. In this regard, restoring natural capital... Accelerating nature based solutions and leveraging the circular bioeconomy will be vital to our efforts. As we tackle this crisis, our efforts cannot be a series of independent initiatives running in parallel. The scale and scope of the threat we face call for a global systems level solution based on radically transforming our current fossil fuel-based economy, to one that is genuinely renewable and sustainable. So, ladies and my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions, of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened, by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here, we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition.
0: Now, we don't know who this mystery guy is, but they do. They're not shocked by what he's saying. There's this person, he has trillions, he has more than world GDP. He has the respect of the world leaders. He doesn't tell us who it is, and he is the answer. And just in case you missed it, I'm going to play it again. I'm not making it up. Yes, you did hear him say that.
1: Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition.
0: The Bible is always true, and it shall be shown to be true. Verse 27, and he, the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That is seven years. This is the final week of Daniel. You can fill this in. The 70th week of Daniel equals seven years, equals the tribulation. And of course, that seven-year tribulation is described in detail in the book of Revelation. Verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for for one week and for half of the week, that is at the three and a half year mark, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes Desolation. That is, listen, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to bring global peace. He's going to solve the world's problems. He's going to allow for the the temple in Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the sacrifices to begin once again in the temple. The Jews are going to be all for him. They're going to be so happy. And then all of a sudden, at this three-and-a-half-year mark, he's going to reveal his true colors. And he's going to cease the sacrifices in the temple. And he's going to establish an image of himself. And he is going to call the world to take his mark, the mark of the beast, which everyone will have to have in order to buy and sell. Not hard to see in a day where we can track everything, in a day where we're going to digital currency, one world currencies. You will have to have that mark, that tattoo, that chip, whatever it is. He will make everyone take that mark and worship him as God. Now, let me say this because this, I run into this all the time. You do not have to worry about the mark of the beast being tricked upon you. The mark of the beast is connected to that worship. And listen, if you know Christ, you're not going to be here. You're going to be raptured. So don't be afraid of technology. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid of technology, but we, but we should be wise to see, yeah, oh, we, we see where this is going. You know, all this convenience, all this what's needed is going to more and more control and less and less freedom. It's, it's super obvious, right? But it's going to culminate in this event. But it's connected. Listen, you're taking that mark and you're saying, hey, Antichrist, I worship you as God. And then in the remaining, remaining three and a half years, Revelation tells us literally he wages war upon Israel, and Israel finally turns back to the Messiah. They, they repent. They, they see Jesus was, was their real Messiah, but they literally, hell descends on earth in those three and a half years. Jesus talked about this moment in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, and he called it the abomination of desolation. And listen, he was referencing this verse right here in Daniel 9 verse 27. Verse 27 ends this way. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator, that is, listen, the Antichrist has his moment, but it doesn't last. Jesus is coming in his wrath, his fury, his might. And so listen, I want us to see that. So we'll turn to Revelation 19. You can leave your finger off here. We're not coming back. Revelation 19. Verses 11 through 21. This is Jesus putting an end to the Antichrist and his reign beginning from this moment on Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That is Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That is, every crown, every, every, he's over all. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That is, that's us, church, coming back with Jesus, coming back in victory coming back washed of our sins, coming back to rule and reign with Him forevermore. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on His robe and on His thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings. Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast And the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire. That's the eternal hell that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Listen, why, why, why doesn't a good God deal with evil? Um, He does. He does. And the only reason he hasn't is for your sake. The only reason he hasn't is that you need to get right with Jesus. And those you love need to get right with Jesus. And those we live amongst need to get right with Jesus. And so listen, I don't know where you're at this morning. You know, perhaps you need to come back. (laughs) Perhaps you need to realign yourself. Perhaps you need to accept Christ for the very first time. You have never really saw him in his fullness it's why he hasn't come back so that listen us in this moment we we get our houses in order we we make jesus king i mean he if he's king serve him if he's lord he's lord of all everything right And so that's where we need to be, so that when He comes, we're ready. We're ready. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.